0: Welcome everyone to episode number three of the Empower Good Podcast. Today, I talk to preventative medicine expert, Dr. David DeRose, on your personal health habits, work-life balance, and how you might be closer to death than you think. Dr. David DeRose, it's so good to have you with me on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me.
1: Great to be with you, Joel.
0: And uh, yeah, so I, I've, I've known you for a long time. Uh, it's not necessarily been uh, you know, very personally. I know you know my parents, et cetera, and we bumped into each other at different events, but I'm excited to finally have you on and be able to pick your brain on the topics of health and how that impacts our ability to influence other people. So- I'm again, just
1: glad we could carve out the time together.
0: I know, it's it's, uh, it's been fun trying to, trying to carve out that time, but just, just to, just to start off, um, you know, you're a doctor, obviously Dr. David Rose, but, uh, for those who are listening who don't know what you do, you know, what do you specialize in? What has kind of been your story there with being a doctor and and what's a typical day? Like,
1: sure. I mean, I went uh, pretty much the conventional route that many physicians go. I did pre-med education as a college student, then went away to medical school, got my doctor of medicine degree, MD and ended up doing a residency in internal medicine. So actually trained, did my undergraduate uh, in the Midwest, went out to California for my MD, and then came back to the Midwest to Ohio to actually do an internal medicine residency at Wright State University, Kettering Medical Center there in southwestern Ohio. And uh, from there, along the way, uh, Got involved in some kind of innovative lines of practice. This was quite a while ago. You might be able to tell from uh, my style of hair or or maybe the color of my hair. Uh, So I've been doing this for for over 30 years now, Joel, and started uh, moving in the direction of preventive medicine when it wasn't really a fashionable thing to do. Started working with people, changing their lifestyle, ended up along the way picking up a second residency in preventive medicine and a master's in public health degree.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Got a nice resume there and 30 years of experience. You know, you mentioned there for a second that, uh, it wasn't the most popular thing to do getting into preventative medicine. And for those who don't know, that's referring to that you can prevent disease and reverse disease, uh, because it's acquired. Right. Um, but w- just comment on that. Cause I know that I've heard statistics, like people in med school don't like, they take like not even one or two classes on nutrition and that, and or that kind of stuff, like comment on that. Why was it unpopular and why were you so passionate about it?
1: Well, I mean, here, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Uh, attention tends to go where the money goes. And our medical system has largely been driven by acute care medicine. So people are willing to pay big dollars if they're sick. If someone's got lung cancer, they're happy to find a surgeon who'll crack open their chest and you know, take out part of their lung or maybe a whole lung if they feel they can save their life. And they'll thank that surgeon profusely. But if they walk into someone's office and that person starts talking with them about stopping smoking, at least historically, that would not necessarily be the uh, winning conversation, nor if they did quit, would they likely write a letter telling the doctor they had saved their life. And the medical system would not pay you the kind of money that they pay the surgeon to cut out the lung cancer that could have been prevented by stopping smoking. So it has a lot to do with how the medical system set up. It's not changed all that much, but there's been some movement where we're actually putting a little bit more money into prevention. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's still a pittance compared to what we spend on acute care, but it's actually becoming more, I would say, fashionable just as we get a more intelligent populace and a more intelligent medical community. We're saying we can't keep doing this. We can't just keep putting out fires We've got to uh, stop starting them.
0: That's awesome. I, I, I agree one hundred percent what you what you're saying there. It's you know getting the getting the magic pill is what people pay for, so think that they're paying for, unfortunately, but that's not always the case. And you've done a lot of studies, you've written a lot of books, et cetera. And we're gonna get into that a little bit later. But I actually want to take this opportunity to have a free visit with the doctor. No, just kidding. Okay. I, okay. You know, I want to ask some questions that I've kind of been uh, chewing on and I've heard, you know, people talk about, I think it would be beneficial to the listeners as well. And the first one is we kind of, you mentioned it with smoking people, you know, there was like campaigns against smoking, you know, back in the eighties uh, and nineties, et cetera. And, and I think you would agree. Smoking is definitely not as popular as it used to be, but I've heard this saying right here, and I want you to comment on it, that sitting is the new smoking. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I don't know if it's useful to compare things, but there's no question that the sedentary lifestyle is a risk factor for a host of chronic diseases. I've spent a lot of my time working with diabetes and high blood pressure. And those two diseases, I mean, they lay at the foundation for the majority of cases of vision loss in adulthood, the majority of cases of non traumatic amputation, the majority of cases of kidney failure. They're huge contributors the heart attack risk, huge contributors to stroke risk. And so we've got literally tens of thousands of people dying every year from complications of inactivity as it feeds into things like diabetes and high blood pressure. And of course, although we don't usually put it on the same page, cancer, which is right up there, the other top killers, inactivity is linked to a number of cancers, a number of the major killing cancers, colon cancer being uh, one of the foremost ones, definitely has a large, uh, large component to do with inactivity. Now, you can be physically fit, you can be in great shape, you can still get colon cancer, you can still have a heart attack or have a stroke, but you dramatically decrease the likelihood of all those things that not only kill, but rob us of quality of life.
0: Yeah, I you know, I think, it, like you said, it's more of a contributing factor, it can add to and complicate things. And, uh, you know, I've just noticed, you know, the, just the way work, the workplace has been over the years is that we have like, I don't know what the percentage is, but a huge majority of our job in the workforce nowadays is sedentary or not as active, you know, used to chop wood and build houses and, you know, coal mines, you know, but now it's more office space and to computer. Uh, you know, I've even noticed that like my shoulders, like I get shoulder press because I'm always on the computer, I'm always driving or whatever, you know, like all kinds of different complications from that. Um, with that said, I have another question. And that is, on the other side, even though we might not be as physically active as before, but we're getting more and more busy. And there's two questions that I have on this. And that is the first one is that we we, people that let's say want to do a YouTube channel or want to start a business or do a nonprofit or do something towards good, like we get busy doing even good things. We get so busy that we think I got to stay up late, I got to finish this post, I got to write this book, I got to, you know, put in this submission, this proposal, and we lack rest. People are workaholics nowadays. You know, we're so busy, and then tying that with social media, we're on our phones all the time. How important is rest? Should we put, it, you know, be very intentional about that? And how does that relate to social media and 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 how it's affecting us?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge topic. Um, I sometimes talk to people about this concept of the disciplined life, and that may not sound all that uh, glamorous. But really, if we want to have optimal health, we have to put some discipline into our life. And sometimes uh, we think of discipline as just being, you know, hardworking. Uh, That is a part of it. I mean, you got to work hard to get your exercise in. I tell people make a regular habit of daily exercise, uh, make a regular practice of eating right and planning good meals, making sure you can have good quality food. We could go down the list, but you're exactly right. Some of the people that do very well with some of those active disciplines, they don't do too well with the discipline of rest. And I can't tell you that I have fully mastered it, even at this stage in my life. And it seemed, it's true. I've got a, a grant right now working with diabetes education with uh, Native Americans. We've just written a book on high blood pressure. We've got a lot of people wanting us to to speak and you know do events that have to do with high blood pressure just speaking with someone in the southwest who wants to have a big event and i've agreed to do it but you're you're juggling all these things in addition in my case still have a clinical practice and people get sick in the middle of the night Uh, i'm not a hospital specialist anymore i'm not a hospitalist i just do outpatient medicine but the patient's sick in the middle of the night I'm going to be dealing with some of the repercussions of that, not in real time because they've gone into the emergency room or whatever. But the point is you don't have the ability necessarily to say, well, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm only going to uh, take care of 20 patient problems today. And I open up my electronic medical records and I see 15 of my patients have been in the emergency room, you know, 25 of them called the nurse on a day that I was out and need some feedback. So you're exactly right in this, uh, higher tech world, there are more ways for people to connect with us. We have more opportunities to share, but more things that can encroach on our time. So it just becomes an additional challenge to say, where can we carve things out? I really believe in this concept of a a day of rest, just taking a day off where you can lay those uh, weekly pressures aside. I know many people are talking about that concept today, but even that's not enough. You've got to get adequate sleep. If we don't, We ramp up our metabolism that ramps up our stress hormones, whether we can do it on our own or whether we've got to take caffeine to do it. Our blood sugar tends to run a bit higher. Our blood pressure runs higher. Our cholesterol picture is not quite as good, but feeds in with all this uh, uh, whole discussion of chronic diseases.
0: Wow. That was really, really cool. So you're saying that even your metabolism, stress of all that stuff has to do with your sleep and your ability to rest. Oh, it's huge. And, and so are inflammatory diseases. We've got people today
1: taking drugs that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, if you've watched any media, if you get any periodicals, you'll look, you'll see these advertisements for drugs to help with rheumatoid arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease. And these most potent drugs work on something called cytokines, these chemical messengers. You may have heard the names, but probably haven't. Interleukins tumor necrosis factors. Here's the crazy thing, Joel. If you cut yourself short on sleep, by actual measurement, you can double or triple the level of these markers. And so I sometimes joke with my audience as I said, you know, here's a guy with some inflammatory disease. He's now taking this drug that's costing him 10,000 a month. So he's got to work three jobs. And he's tripling the levels of these compounds. He's now taking a drug to lower Um, Maybe he would be better off if he just worked one job and got off those medications and got adequate rest because that's what some of the data suggests. I'm not saying it's that simplistic, but all these things are interconnected and a lot of us are just missing that whole
0: big picture. Wow, that that is really, really fascinating. Let me ask you this. Is it the lack of knowledge or is it the lack of willpower or what is it? Because I know that in recent years, there's been a lot of documentaries and, and I know that for some people, they literally are overweight or having disease because they just never knew that eating X, Y, Z or doing this actually hurts their, their health, both physically and mentally, et cetera. But then there's a lot of us that know what to do. I mean, being vegan and all that kind of stuff has just been on the front lines for a long time now. Why is it that we're still messing up? What do you think the main problem is?
1: Look, at you and I are both talking to each other. We're both sitting up. We're not in a hospital bed. So whatever we're doing, we're going to tend to think, well, it couldn't really be all that bad because I'm still functioning pretty well. So the crazy thing is, whatever we're doing that's not very healthy, the very fact that we're doing okay, we tend to actually think it's really not all that bad. And so it's a it's a real challenge to to just be honest with the data and say yeah I think I can do fine with just a few hours sleep but am I really being honest with myself am I really you know at the top of my game and then what am I doing down the road what price am I paying and they're sobering questions and when we're when we're busy when we're doing a lot of quote good things it's even more challenging because we're not just staying up. Uh, you know, doing something idle, we're doing important stuff. It's helping the world. And uh, it's a challenge.
0: It It is a challenge. Because when you said that, I'm like, man, I always feel convicted. I feel bad and guilty, because I know there's things that I need to do better. And this is something that's really interesting, because I happen to have a really high metabolism. It's slowed down. I'm 28 now, but it's it's slowed down. And I've my friends and myself have even noticed, right? But there, I mean, obviously for people who have a lower metabolism, they'll do something, they'll eat like even just a little bit of something and they'll gain weight right away, et cetera. Mm-hmm. For myself, for example, it's easy for me to think that, Hey, you know, I'll be fine. Is it just about weight or is it about something else as well? You know, cause I mean, I have friends that ate all, all the junk food they wanted. They never broke out in pimples. They never really gained weight. Is that, is that okay?
1: You know, sometimes when I speak with audiences, I tell them if you're overweight, if you have a tendency to gain weight, you may be better off. Wow. And the the reason for it is a lot of us seem insulated at least from some of the most obvious consequences of poor lifestyle habits. Now, the majority of Americans are overweight. So, you know, to some extent most of us, if we're not careful, at some point in our life, we will tend to put on weight, but not everyone. You're exactly right. I've got patients who are up in years. They're very thin. They're not necessarily particularly healthy. But here's where we're going with all this. All of us have certain things that are grabbing, trying to grab our attention. It could be our weight. It could be our mental clarity. It could be our our temperament. If we're cutting ourselves short on sleep or if we're not getting the right amount of exercise, maybe we're just a little bit more irritable. Uh, Maybe we're more prone to headaches or digestive symptoms. So here's the deal. The person who has no signs of any ill effects and they're on a lousy lifestyle, they're perhaps the most unfortunate person around because they can look great. They seem like they're doing well. And then at 52, they drop dead with a heart attack or at 47 or 38 or however young, it seems just, you know, crazy. How could this person have a problem when they're doing so well all their life? But really what they were doing is they were, they were borrowing against the bank. And finally, you know, they got the, uh, the note that they're uh, overdrawn and that's the end of the game.
0: I want to ask you another question, kind of more transitioning to the why of health and as it relates to our ability to help other people, how important is self-care like Big picture, but we can also go deep.
1: Well, I mean, you use a simple analogy. Uh, let's say you want to help people by using your automobile, you know, running some errands for them. If you don't put gas in the tank and maintain the car, you're not going to be able to do much. At the end of the day, it's the same with our health. If we're not maintaining our own health, really our ability to help anyone else is going to ultimately suffer. So you could say whether it's from selfish motivation or from altruistic motivation, we've got to take care of ourself. And it seems somewhat ironic if you say, well, hey, I'm driven just by helping people. Well, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to help people for all that long.
0: You're not going to be around later on to help people to have a lasting legacy.
1: That's exa- Well, I mean, here's the thing. Sure, a lot of people have done great stuff in short lifespans, but we can accomplish a lot more. If we're deliberate, if we're disciplined and caring for ourselves, if we make time to take care of ourselves, it's not selfish, it's not depriving the world of what we could do. It's actually ensuring that we can do the most over the longest amount of time.
0: I like that. There's two things that, that I just noticed from what you just said right there. There's the longevity part and then the ability to execute in the moment because somebody could be as healthy as you know anybody could be. But after, let's say, 30 years, they get hit by a car and their legacy is cut short, unfortunately, with whatever they were wanting to do. So I think maybe you can comment on this. It's not just about longevity. Being healthy now, yes, it'll help you live longer to do whatever you want to do, be there for your family and make an impact. But does it actually help your ability to thrive at the moment and make you more efficient here and now?
1: Well, I mean, it really does, and it does it in a number of ways. I mean, oftentimes we think of the, of the, you know, the, the glamorous uh, you know, storylines. And I mean, one right now that's not glamorous at all, but grabbing a lot of attention is the whole influenza story in 2018. And regardless of when someone's listening to this, I mean, historically, we're in a, a record-setting year, at least in terms of recent years, where the impact of influenza is just hitting really hard. Well, a few years ago, the big infectious disease that was grabbing everyone's attention was Ebola. We were, you know, deathly afraid that now that Ebola had uh, ended up on American shores, it was going to run rampant in the population. At the time, I was uh, I was concerned about that scenario, and I wrote a book called Evading Ebola, uh, one of the quickest books I ever wrote because I knew it was uh, it was a timely topic, and basically I wrote about how lifestyle factors have a bearing on our immunity. And my angle was what nobody was talking about during the Ebola epidemic was that we had data going back for years that many people in Africa had been exposed to Ebola and never got sick. And it's the whole story of what we call inapparent infection. And that is if we're, if we're immunologically strong, we are actually more resilient in the face of everyday things, whether we live in an area where there's Ebola. We talked in the book, Evading Ebola. I talked about influenza and other conditions. It's the same story. So coming back to your question. So it's not just living a long time, it's having optimal health today, so that when that person on the bus or on the plane is coughing in my face, I'm less likely to come down with the flu. And if you've had influenza, I'll tell you, you know, just a historical note on this. When I first met your family, it was in the New York City area. We were working together, your parents and, and, uh, and I, my wife, and uh, influenza it was before, was, it
0: was before my time.
1: It was before you. Well, you might have been around, but I don't think you were cognizant of it. Um, my, uh, my wife was pregnant with our second child. It was in the middle of a flu, a lot of people were sick. I kind of felt I was fighting something, but I was trying to you know be disciplined, take care of myself. And uh, my son had the uh, poor discretion of deciding he wanted to come out into the world in the middle of the night. So you know one or two in the morning, in the middle of an ice what was, storm. What was, he,
0: what was he thinking?
1: I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. He, he's a pretty bright guy right now, but back then, I don't he just didn't have it all together. So what we do is I get in the car, of course, driving my wife to the birthing center. And so I'm up a good portion of the night. That pretty much all-nighter trashed my immune system. By the time Sonia was ready to leave the birthing center with our newborn, I was just dead sick with the flu. We had to talk the nurses into letting me leave. Okay? But my point is... I was laid up for a couple of weeks with a bad influenza, and it was because I didn't get my sleep. Now, I was glad I made the decision I did. I think, you know, in the the big picture, glad I, you know, got them to the birthing center during the ice storm. But the, the point is just illustrating it's not just cutting our life short. It's the quality of life today. It's how our neurons process. The same saturated fat that makes some people obese Is the same saturated fat that increases insulin resistance, causes insulin not to work as well, sets the stage for diabetes. It's the same saturated fat that makes your nerve cell membranes more, um, let's put it this way, less flexible so that neurotransmitters don't work as well, putting
0: you at greater risk of problems with anger, depression. So the list goes on and on. Wow. I think that's really, really awesome that you know, it, it affects both. And I think everyone wants more efficiency because a lot of times we make compromises. We think, oh, I can stay up later or I'll just eat junk food or not eat breakfast at all or whatever in the, for the sake of work, family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if we decide to quote unquote, take a hit short term in our minds, because we, we think we're not going to get as much done to take care of ourselves, it'll actually help us to get all the things that we wanted to get done And actually enjoy it and have a good time and also live longer to do the things that we enjoy. Um, I want to move now into uh, more of what you're doing and talking about the uh, the sphere of influence. There's two different kinds of experts that I've identified. You know, they both know a lot, but one just practices their expertise. The other one proclaims or promotes what they're talking about, right? So you're a doctor. There are doctors that I visited. They literally just show up at the office, at the clinic, they take care of their patients, and then as soon as they clock out, they clock out. From what we know, what you've told us so far, that's not the case of what you're doing. I mean, you've written books. I know you do a radio show. You have appeared many times on all kinds of different programming, on television, on the internet, et cetera. Why did you decide to become a doctor who, or an expert in your area that doesn't just practice but promotes and uh, pushes your uh, knowledge out to the rest of the world?
1: Well, I don't think anyone ever chooses to become an expert, <laughs> and uh, depending on who you're talking with, uh, you know, they, they attribute varying degrees of expertise to you. I, I laugh because years ago, we were invited, my wife and I, who's, my wife is also a physician for those who don't know her, but we were invited to come to Eastern Europe to uh, kind of help with some of the interest in preventive medicine shortly after the fall of communism. And uh, we went out there, and we were really pretty green. I mean, we, we didn't have a huge resume behind us. No one uh, called us experts in America. But when we showed up in uh, what was then Czechoslovakia, uh, the whole town came together, all the medical professionals, to hear from the experts from America. So I'm, I'm smiling because, yeah, expertise varies with who the audience is. It, and it's an interesting point because basically all of us have expertise in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, do we realize that we have expertise that, that people need when we can make a difference? And I think that's one of the things that's motivated us. Uh, both my wife and I, we felt that, that there is a, a loving, loving creator who gave us this vision to uh, get involved with health, to try to actually help people not to get rich. And if you looked at our bank account over the years, you'd see that we've been pretty successful. And you know uh, achieving the not getting rich part of it so um but we've done a lot of volunteer things over the years and it's been a it's it's been a great privilege to see how you know even things that we may not have thought were that substantial were making an impact i mentioned that eastern european connection about five years ago i was invited back to speak and uh what uh, was then, what is now the Czech Republic. So it was Czechoslovakia, and we first started going over there and then divided into the Czech and Slovak Republics. So we were in Prague at an international medical convention, and I was one of the speakers there. And I actually had a number of people that came up to me who we, you know, met 20, 25 years before. And what we and other people had done at that time had shaped their vision for Uh, being involved with health and healthcare and preventive medicine so really when we invest in making a difference in other people's lives you you see those waves of of blessing over time even when it may seem like right now you're just spinning your wheels I mean what are you doing a lot of times this stuff is not very remunerative or you're, you're spending your own resources to do this and you could look at yourself and other people look at you and say hey you know Rose why are you still working I mean we're retired you know we uh you didn't manage your your funds very well well i I kind of think well I've been doing all my life what a lot of people do in their retirement you know we we've, we've had the privilege of traveling and helping people and doing volunteer work and uh it's uh it's a rewarding opportunity
0: that's that's really inspiring to hear that uh, and I you know I think that's respectable there that you know that's one of the things I've actually talked about a lot is why should someone should seek to be successful just for the purpose of you know making money and doing all that kind of stuff and no matter what field you're in um and it reminds me of this quote that actually was the inspiration behind the empowered podcast and that is that our first duty to god and man is self-development in other words we should be intentional uh, whether somebody believes in god or not we at least have an obligation if you have something that will benefit somebody else. We have an obligation uh, to share that with the people around us, because that's just the way that the whole system has been set up. I want to ask you now more like details, like what, you know, we're talking about taking your influence, not just into sphere one and two, like your family and your community, like in your case, the practice, but what like specifically practically have you done? I know I mentioned like radios and books, what are, what has kind of like been your strategy to take the messages that, you know, that will benefit uh, America?
1: Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is some people, you know, that I've met over the years, there's not all that many, they have kind of a grand strategy for their life. I'm going to do this for five years. Then I'm going to do this for, you know, two years, then I'll get this degree. And then I'll get this position. Uh, It's never been that way for me. It's always been looking at opportunities. I'm, I'm a spiritually led person, Uh, was not always that way, but I do feel there is a God who's willing to give me direction. And at different junctures of the road, as things come my way, I've asked for direction. You know, do I go this way? Do I go that way? Uh, probably, f- what, six years ago now, someone came to me. I was just at a point in uh, some of the work I was doing where things were kind of slowing down. And I was wondering about the mix of things I was doing. Someone said, you know, we've been looking around. There's all kinds of community groups, churches. They're doing blood pressure screening. There isn't anything out there to uh, package to help people with high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. natural things, simple things people can do. So that led to a a contracted uh, uh, job doing some uh, videos. We ended up producing three one hour videos called reversing hypertension naturally. So that got me digging into the medical literature even more. We put those out, they were very well received. But after doing that in 2012, I said, you know, we need more than this. We need more than a few DVDs. We need a book. And since I'm a writer, I've always got writing ideas floating around my mind. You know, what, what do you give preference to? And as I talked with different people, ended up with a couple of other health professionals who had a similar vision, wanted to to help with high blood pressure. Three of us got together, pooled resources and uh, worked together on a book. We came out with a book in 2016 called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. So we actually go- went through the kind of the, the state of the medical literature, what's out there that can help people control their blood pressure naturally. And the motivation for it is anybody who's in medical care. I mean, we see the ravages of high blood pressure every day, uh, leading contributor to strokes. Uh, I mentioned earlier kidney failure, blindness, you know, a host of problems. And so we want to get there on the front lines. And what we know today, Joel, when it comes to diabetes, when it comes to high blood pressure, you can't take medications to lower your risk as much as you could achieve with lifestyle
0: alone. I want to ask you another question. Would the, like How is this book applicable to somebody who might consider themselves healthy, uh, and wouldn't say like, oh yeah, I'm gonna die of a heart attack kind of a know We kind of touched on this earlier, but like, what, like, how is it written? What structure? What style of writing is it? Like, you know, pitch it to a younger crowd.
1: Well, sure. the The, the book um, it's a it's a long book. It's a, about 400 pages. It's a, a book where someone might look at it and say, if they just want a quick take on high blood pressure, let's say, this looks kind of like a weighty book, but. We've got a lot of stories in it. It reads very, very well. We've had uh, a lot of editorial work from a lot of, a lot of folks that uh, I think really did a
0: great job making the I, book. Vary. I like that. I like that because I love stories.
1: Yeah, no, and we we start out with two very powerful stories, real life uh, patients that we've had over the years. Uh, the three of us as clinicians kind of pooled our, our, our knowledge base and our our uh, uh, story bank, if you will, and and pulling in illustrations. And then there's over a hundred. Uh, graphics in the book. There's tables. So when you read a chapter on nutrition, we challenge you, what are you going to do different? So here's the point. Someone right now, let's say they're 28. Just a hypothetical age. Seems like I've heard that age recently. I am 28. Yeah. Okay. So let's say they're 28. They say, Hey, I just had my blood pressure checked. The doctor said it was great. 122 over 82. Well, actually, by the current guidelines, some of the guidelines, that is elevated. Uh, Some of the most recent guidelines are saying everyone should have their blood pressure under 120 systolic and under 80 diastolic. So let's just say, uh, quote, good blood pressure, maybe it is 118 over 78. You just sneaked under the edge. What we know, what we explain in the book early on is that there's really only two groups of people. They're the group of people right now that have high blood pressure. And then those who are going to get it over time. No, really. I mean, statistically, if you live into your 80s, even if you're in your, if someone's viewing this, they're in their 50s right now. Blood pressure is fine. They're in their 50s today. If they live into their 80s, the odds are around 90% that they're going to have high blood pressure. So, So the question is, Joel, the question is this. Do you want to wait till you have medical problems until you get serious? about preventing them, or do you wanna be proactive? Why I would argue for proactive treatment um, was illustrated, I was speaking at a tribal venue, I've already alluded to the fact that I do a fair amount of work with Native Americans, we may wanna talk about that, but um, I was speaking to a group of uh, tribal health people, so these are health professionals who are working with Native Americans, and one of them told a story to me and to the group in this uh, event that I was hosting. They said one of my patients was shocked. They were going on dialysis. They said, how could I be going on dialysis? I don't have diabetes. They had high blood pressure that wasn't controlled. The problem with high blood pressure is it often creeps up on you. And even before it's dangerously high, it's robbing you of nephrons, kidney filtering units. It's robbing you of neurons, brain nerve cells. You're increasing your risk of dementia because you have a higher than optimal blood pressure, even though the doctor may pat you on the back. So we say to people, if you're serious about your long-term health, pick up a book like 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control or some other book that's you know talking about generally healthy lifestyle practices. And, and it's, it's like an investment. You invest when you don't think you need to.
0: I think that's so important. And I, it's a good reminder for me as well. But I think for those listening, um, no matter what age, you know, it's got to start doing it now. I've got to start doing it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two last questions, and sure. uh, they're short. And uh, the first one is, uh, the the change in media communication has drastically changed recently. I mean, it used to be, you know, hieroglyphics and everything back in the day, right? And then the printing press and and whatnot. And, and, and you know, when I grew up, it was TV, radio, and um, television. I mean, uh, TV, radio, and newspaper, right? Now it's switched to things like YouTube, social media, podcasting, etc. How has the switch in media and more of the market, how it's been opened up to be more of like a free market? How has that helped you? And how do you think just maybe even just speaking more to the audience listening? Is that something we should take advantage of if we have something good to share? And how has that helped you?
1: I mean, I say absolutely no question. Take advantage of it. Uh, You know, it's it's kind of a a learning curve that we're all under as technology changes. But I'm I host a weekly radio show. It's heard on 170 stations, and I have not seen the impact from things that we cover on the radio as great as just some YouTube videos. I mean, our we're we're looking at uh, sales data on our blood pressure book. I mean, the book's ranking in the top 10 high blood pressure books on Amazon right now, and it has been for quite a while, I think a lot of it has to do with some free YouTube videos that we have out there on high blood pressure, uh, more so than when we feature the talk about the book on the radio or when I do something that's featured on a television show. Although I will say I have done a few things that have been nationally televised or televised widely. I mean, that's sure, that's still a huge impact. So I'm not saying that it's those not, it's not older media, it's not dead. But but I've been amazed at how how broad the reach of some of the newer media uh, forms are.
0: Uh, the last question is this. Uh, there is uh, a hashtag that I like to use uh, with Empower Good, and that's learn and share. You can't share anything that you don't have. And uh, with that last uh, topic there, I want to ask you the question is, what is something that someone had shared with you, maybe a quote or a book uh, re- referral or whatever, what is something that share someone shared with you that impacted you the most and then has then empowered you to be able to uh, be a better uh, person to help those around you. Uh,
1: as a college student, someone gave me a book that years later someone told me never should have been written. The book called Councils on Diet and Foods it was written by this uh, author E.G. White years ago and uh, I started reading that book and started putting some of those principles into practice. It dramatically changed my health, I had a lot of digestive issues and uh, as a scientist today. I realized that, uh, that, that, uh, that that actually is, uh, is a profound, profound uh, book. Uh, there's nutritionists, secular nutritionists who've looked at that book and they said, this is cutting edge nutrition today. So it's a book that I still see uh, incredible value in, a companion book called Ministry of Healing, also incredibly powerful.
0: Wow. I appreciate it, Dr. David DeRose. Thank you so much for joining me. And I've learned a lot. I've been re-inspired. I know that a lot of people will be as well. Finally, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Probably the best way is just go to our website, uh, compasshealth.net.
0: Compasshealth.net.
1: Compasshealth.net.
0: Thank you so much again for joining me. It was a privilege. Great to be with you, Joel. Wow. What an awesome episode. I don't know about you, but I was personally rebuked and inspired to make sure I'm on top of my health so I can help other people. If you enjoyed this interview just as much as I did, I would be honored if you would go and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on the platform in which you listen to it. Finally, I want to thank my Empower Good team, Karen at the show notes, Ricky at the website, and Jasmine on the Instagram graphics. Love you all. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Empower Good podcast.